0: Hello, and welcome to Calming the Chaos Podcast, where we talk with people around the world who can help you find peace in a chaotic world. I'm your host, Tracy Canella, licensed mental health counselor, certified eating disorder specialist, and advanced clinical hypnotherapist. Calming the Chaos Podcast is for those who want self-help resources and education. It's not a substitute for counseling or psychotherapy. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. And now, let the chaos begin. In this episode of Calming the Chaos, I'm going to be talking with Laura Folks, And she is a holistic health coach, and she works with people who have challenges and issues with food and eating. In particular, she helps people get behind the self-sabotage and anything that is blocking you from reaching your goals. And so Laura is going to be with us today to talk about her own journey through chaos and chaotic eating and how she was able to experience a truce with food. And then she's going to provide us with some tips, tools, and techniques that we can use. And also, we will talk about how she is helping other people just transform their relationship with food. And so now I'm going to welcome Laura Folks. Hello. Hello.
1: (laughs) Good to see you. Good to see you too. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Right. Yeah. And I was really super attracted to some of the philosophies that you have about treating people who really have some struggles with food and may not even be aware of some of the subconscious struggles that they have and ways that they might self-sabotage. So let's begin, I guess.
1: Let's do it. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, so let me just uh, hear a little bit about your story and how you became interested in this work.
1: My story and how I became interested is really, has to do with my weight loss journey, um, which started around the age of 12. I really struggled with my weight and food um, most of my life and did all of the diets starting around the age of 13 was the first time I went to one with my parents. And I would lose weight and then gain it all back plus more. And I just got to a place where I was super burnt out from having to diet and work on it and work on my weight and keep up my discipline and all of the things that go into diets. And overall, I just felt like I didn't have control over my weight and often over my eating. Um, and so I felt like I would go kind of into a fog where I would like be able to stay on track and eat pretty aligned with what I wanted to eat with my health goals. And then there would be times where it was like, I would kind of black out in a way and not really know what was actually happening where I would eat something sweet and then something salty and then go back to something sweet. And then I'd kind of come out of it and be like, whoa, what just happened? What did I just do without really realizing what had what I had just done or what had happened? And I, I didn't know why that was happening. So that was how my eating was pretty much chaotic. and <laughs> There was a lot of chaos around that in my body. And after going through my weight loss journey, losing 60 pounds, that's when I realized that I really wanted to do something to help other people on their journeys as well. And it doesn't necessarily have to be around weight. That was my experience. But um once I got into exploring my relationship with food is when things really started to shift and change. And that's when I realized that this is the work that I had to do and really am passionate about doing.
0: Yeah. And I know that when working with my clients, there are a lot of them, just a a surprising number of them who say that they have been put on diets when they were small. Mm -hmm. And I really do uh, think that it affects their thinking about food and eating, especially if there's a restriction going on. And there is usually a restriction and then an overcompensation. And then Mm -hmm. it leaves people just being really confused about what they're going to eat, how much, when, all this stuff about eating. Totally.
1: And also at that young of an age, we don't It we might internalize that and make it feel we might think that there's something wrong with us too. Like, if all of our friends are out, you know, when we're when I was 12 or 13 and all my friends are out playing or they're out doing sports and stuff, and here I am in a meeting room to lose weight, then it can make you feel different and make you feel like there's something wrong with you or you're failing in some way, and that can trigger you also to continue into that cycle of feeling like there's something wrong, but then that leads you to eat even more. So it's hard to stay on track because then there's like, you're feeling like you're not good enough or something is being triggered in you.
0: Yeah, and then cravings come into play around this time, right, because when you're deprived, then you crave. And so I don't know that when you were a little girl and you were going through this and being in weight loss meetings when other kids your age were out playing, did you find that you craved something? And Because I know you talk about craving and about beyond craving and I wonder if you might share a little bit with the audience about cravings and your experience with those. The interesting thing
1: is when I was younger I don't even really remember my eating habits. Obviously there had to have been something going on cuz I I what I did struggle with my weight at that time, but I was not aware of it. I never really thought about what I was eating or anything like that. So it was it wasn't until I was an adult and after I had lost the weight and started to explore that oh, it's not just about needing more discipline or willpower. There's actually reasons and what I learned is how food can be a form of self-protection. Like it's a mm-hmm. it's a side effect when we are feeling like we're losing control or out of control around food or our bodies, or if we um, are self-sabotaging, it's usually a symptom that there's something else that's going on that's leading us to eat. So what I've learned since then is as I was going through my relation and I guess transforming my relationship with food and healing it, is I would find myself craving sugar or um, just like going into that fog. There were a couple different reasons. There could be the physical, which I didn't realize that my blood sugar was not balanced for years, which is why I was craving sugar and eating it fairly frequently throughout the day. But then there's also the emotional side of it where anytime my story was triggered, or like I was alluding to, if we felt if I felt like there was something wrong with me, or I wasn't good enough in some way, or I was misunderstood, that's when I would start to crave food or think about it obsessively, and then end up eating. And so there can be it can be challenging too to know whether it's a physical craving or an emotional tra- craving. But there are those two different sides that can lead us to eat or to crave certain foods. And I think the difference in order to tell is if you're finding that you're craving something shortly after you eat and you are feeling like your energy is dipping, you get that like hangry feeling, you are arriving at a meal and... You want to arrive at a meal where you are gradually getting hungry versus like getting being ravenous. that those are all signs that your blood sugar is not c- controlled and that you might be missing a macronutrient. That's where that physical piece comes in. The emotional piece is when we might have what can be complicated too, is it can have you can have like a phantom hunger or you can have like just be emotionally craving something else is if there's a lot of guilt and shame around something, if it feels like a food choice, if there's like an insatiable craving for a food where it's like, I'll just have a couple of Oreos or a little, a handful of M&Ms. And then before you know it, you finished off like eight to 10 Oreos or um, finish off a half of a bag of M&Ms, like a Costco size bag of M&Ms. And you didn't really want the food. That is probably more of an emotional craving. And that's where we want to look at and see what's actually contributing to that and leading you to eat. Because it's not, there's probably times where you've been able to have the two Oreos and move on from it or the handful of m and and like that was satisfying. And then there's times where it's not. And so what's the difference between those two situations? And that's what we want to look at is what was actually contributing to um, not to having more of that insatiable craving.
0: And I like the way that you organized it between physiological and psychological or emotional, and it could be both, right? Mm-hmm. It could be both things working at the same time. I know that I had interviewed Katie Hart last year about helping the hangry, and, and that talked a lot about blood sugar and the physiological challenges that people can have when they're not, uh, where they're not nourishing themselves well. And then there's all kinds of information about that fog, that psychological fog that we can have when it comes around issues, emotional issues that pertain to food and eating. And so your approach really has to do with identifying, well, first off, awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Gaining awareness of what's going on, but then delving a little bit deeper into what ways could you be self-sabotaging, which for our audience, could you explain a little bit about what self-sabotaging is?
1: Definitely. Yeah. So self-sabotaging is really when we stop ourselves from reaching our goals, either actively or passively. And it can be, it's working towards our goals that we really, a lot of my clients, like they really want to like achieve their goals and they really want to lose weight or develop a better relationship with food. But for some reason, they're just not able to be consistent with it and they don't know why. So that could be a form of self-sabotage. And there can be many ways that it can show up. So it can sound like saying something along the lines of like, I deserve to eat that pizza or saying, screw it. I'm just going to eat this anyway, even though I know I shouldn't. Um, It could also be not eating because you might be so busy and taking care of everybody else or wanting to perform really well at your job that you just don't take the time away to nourish yourself and getting that meal in. Or it could be binging or emotionally eating. And what can be challenging with this is that even when we're in that like reward state and feeling like I deserve it or screw it and I'm just going to eat anyways, it can feel more of the deserve and the reward piece can feel innocent because it's like, well, this is a reward. I deserve to do this. It's okay for me to do this. But if there's any guilt or shame around the food choice after you eat or even if there's any gearing up beforehand. and then you feel like you're off track and have to get you have to gear back up to get back on track. That's where there's probably some form of self-sabotage that's happening. And also to clarify that self-sabotage is not just around food. It can also be with exercise. It can be in your relationships. It can be in your career. It can be by mindless shopping. So finances, it can show up in so many different areas. And so the work that I typically do with my clients not only impacts their relationship with food, but it can impact many other areas of their life too.
0: Right. So self-sabotage being, I am getting in my own way, either consciously or subconsciously. And this is preventing me from reaching the things that I really want to do or on a conscious level, my goals. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so here I am, I'm getting in my own way. So hence the term self-sabotage. And so I think you had said that you have explored your own self-sabotage and not not like you have to disclose anything or anything that you don't want to, but what did you learn about self-sabotage in and of itself and how it's important when we're considering behaviors related to food and eating?
1: For me, it was so eye-opening once I realized how my past was still controlling me, um, even not today, but five or six years ago when I was going through this process myself, to see how much that was that was still controlling me. So I was bullied a lot in middle school and in high school for my weight. And I always thought that that just made me stronger, even though I was kind of a defensive person because of it. I always thought that I was just stronger because I figured that I needed to just take on more, do more. I could do my own. If I put my mind to it, I can have success and it doesn't really matter what other people think is kind of what I thought. I didn't realize though, how much it had really had like an imprint on me and how I was showing up today from, or a couple years ago in more of like a defensive, with a defensive, um, I would have this wall up and like be defensive in many ways. And also the protection was whenever I felt like I could potentially be misunderstood, which being bullied, I was constantly misunderstood and feeling like the other shoe could drop because I had people who I thought were my friends. And then they would turn on me and start bullying me with some other people. And I never thought anything of that um, later in life. But what would it, how it would show up is anytime I felt misunderstood or felt like there was a risk of being misunderstood, is when I would eat and turn to food and not even realize it. So, being able to label that, identify it, and have the clarity as to what was actually leading me to eat and that it wasn't just that I was lacking willpower or discipline was so huge and relieving to be able to. I understand and see how, oh, I see what I'm doing here. I see how I'm making meaning of different things that are happening in life without necessarily having the full context. But I would just assume that my view of things was accurate and that would be how I would protect myself. Um, by And that could be an example of that could be getting an email from when I was working in advertising from a client and... There was a risk that they were misunderstanding something that I had said, which would then spin me out of control where I might you know, type up an email really frantically back to them being like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. This is what I meant. And it would make me feel like, oh shoot, I'm going to be rejected or I could fail here. And they're going to be mad that I said something that was not intended that way. So it just showed up in a lot of different ways. And then I would end up eating without realizing why. And that's when I would turn it, fall into that, that fog around food.
0: Yeah. And I think, so what you just were talking about really comes to the core of the, the relationship, right? Because we have a relationship with people, our family members, ourselves, our, our people at school who may bully us. And then we have this relationship with food. And sometimes they take Different tones and they have different levels of safety that mm-hmm. you can have. So, possibly, I feel safer with food than I do with you, or with the bullies, or even with my parents or myself. And so, then food becomes one of those safe places. And then, I guess, depending on how you use food for a safe place, it may not be so safe anymore. And I guess with, with self-sabotage and with regards to, you know, how you are bullied and maybe there is a connection there that when you're bullied, you just kind of get used to being treated a certain way. And so you treat yourself that same way. There's that, there's so many dimensions to self-sabotage that you could explore, I think, Mm -hmm. in trying to figure out your relationship with food. Don't you think? Totally. And,
1: What's interesting is that with even though you're kind of like bullying yourself in a way sometimes with like the negative self-talk and the guilt or shame spiral that comes up, I found for me, even though I wasn't necessarily controlling my food or my body, it felt like when things were out of my control or there was a lot of uncertainty or I was feeling vulnerable, it was the one thing that I could control, Mm -hmm. or I felt like that was the perceived control, right? So, and there was still a lot of self monitoring that was happening, um, where I was like, Oh, I should eat, I shouldn't eat this. And I should really be eating, you know, vegetables and whatever, but I feel like it. So I'm just going to do it. And that's where it becomes like this vicious cycle of um, what I call mental gymnastics around food. But yeah, I found that anytime I had that vulnerability, uncertainty, and felt like I was lacking control in some ways, that's the one thing. It was like a comfortable resting place almost, mm-hmm. even though it was super uncomfortable. And that's where it's so confusing and frustrating because it's like, you know, it's not serving you. Um, but it's also, I think part of it too, for me was I had this, this I had kind of been conditioned to... And to know that the more effort I put into something, the more results I'm going to get out of it. And so with food in my body, it's like, well, if I just think about it more, if I just do more, if I'm just more, if I'm just trying harder, then I'll get more results, even though they weren't always productive. It wasn't productive effort.
0: Yeah. Well, so, you know, with self-sabotage and and you getting in your own way, and I'm saying you as a collective you, not, not just you, I, I think that it's really important to understand that when we get in our way, sometimes we do it for a reason. We do it for mm-hmm. a subconscious reason. I, one of the best examples I can think of with this is, mother and daughter they decide that they want to lose weight and both decide to go on an eating plan together and one of them ends up losing quite a bit of weight and the other one does not and so the one who loses weight may unintentionally and subconsciously sabotage their own goals because they desire to keep the relationship with the other one whether it be the mother or the daughter they don't want that person to feel bad about their inability to lose weight. Isn't that mm-hmm. interesting, right? And so on a subconscious level, a just a, a, a two people setting goals together can actually experience self-sabotage because the mm-hmm. other one isn't doing as well, and they want to be in a relationship with this other person? I don't know if I'm making sense, but have you ever yeah. had any situation like this that you could see that, oh, this is clearly something that you are doing and that's hurting yourself, but it's actually helping something, some other area of your life?
1: Yeah, I think that that's a great example. And with that person, what comes to mind with like the relationship is, I hear this even if there's not anybody else involved where people have had success they've lost weight they're seeing for like forward movement and feeling like they have momentum but then there's that protective side of them that's like ooh but what happens if like i'm not able to maintain it or if the other shoe drops and then i end up gaining the weight back and so they're they're kind of anticipating failure in a way and so it's like well before i get to that point let me just I'm just going to pull the pin now and just stop. So it's, and that's a little extreme and not exactly what people are probably thinking. But that happens where it's like, if you ever have g- gotten on the scale and lost a pound and you're like, yay, I'm, this is great. I've lost some weight. And then you find later in the day that you're sabotaging yourself and you're just eating whatever you want because it's like, I deserve it. Yeah, I've been so good. I can do this. Or it's like, And that might be like the surface level, what you're thinking, but deep down, it could also be, will I be able to sustain this? There might be a lot of that protective thinking happening in the background of like, will I be able to sustain this? And what will, I've even had some clients say, what happens if I do lose a significant amount of weight? What will my identity be then? How will I be received by people? What will people think of me or say to me? Um, And that's where it's There's a lot wrapped up and tied into our bodies and our weight and how we think people will perceive us based on how we present to the world in our bodies.
0: Yeah, so many important things that you just mentioned. And so people may want the body that they want and they also might be afraid of it, right? Mm -hmm. And then the protective part comes from, well, if I actually believe that I'm not really going to long term succeed in this eating plan then I am going to protect myself from inevitable doom and I'm going to just end this all right here like you said pull the pull the pin mm-hmm. and so so many things to explore with regards to self-sabotage and eating you know I know that you have some some information on your website I'll go ahead and put your website up here and uh, we can all see it's uh, a and then she also has some some workbooks that she has developed about food and eating and the one in particular that I'm thinking of is this behind your cravings here. And, uh, you know, just being ready to make peace with food. And, you know, I love just the idea of a workbook because it seems so simple. It seems so easy. And I, I was wondering if you might want to tell us a little bit about what you developed here for people.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing this. Um, In the Behind Your Cravings, so this is actually a self-study course that is five different lessons. And what it takes you through is really um, seeing what your triggers are. And there are four common triggers that typically lead us to eat, which are feeling tired, anxious, inadequate, or lonely. And throughout this process, you it will guide you through figuring out what your triggers are that lead you to fall off track or self-sabotage and to eat. And then we also look at um, how you are protecting yourself with what we call some stress responses and how they are depleting your energy as the day goes on and lead you to eat. And then there's a couple of um, lessons in there too that go and give you some tools of how you can, A, deal with those stress responses and how you can um, start to use different ways of thinking and different tools for when you are feeling like you ha- your energy has been depleted and are turning to food. There's tools there as well as because this work is hard and it can be really uncomfortable, there's some tools in there also of how to sit with that discomfort in a structured way um, so that you don't end up turning
0: to food when you're feeling that. Outstanding. I love that. And so, so this is something that's available on Laura's website. And I would love to learn a little bit more about how you work with particular clients who have struggles with meeting their goals. like How do you get people motivated to continue on the path toward their goals as a coach?
1: I find that often as we're going through the process, first of all, it's a very different approach and process. So it's the truce with food process that I take people through, which is uh, what my my health coach developed it and what I went through to go through um, and explore my relationship with food. And then I've now been certified in the approach and process. And what I find is that just by even in the first session that we go through. So first, before I get into that, I start out with a 40 minute curiosity call, which is free and will, um, talk to anybody who wants to share what their relationship with food is like, their challenges, what kind of support they're looking for. And then we can talk through, and I always say, bring your curiosity and I'll bring mine. And we can talk through to see what type of support would make the most sense for you. And then from there, we go into that discovery session. And the discovery session is an hour and 45 minute session where we're really getting to the bottom of and the root cause of why you fall off track and turn to food. And I find that just by going through that session and that process, it's an, there's an exercise that we go through to get A, really clear on your goals but then and how life would improve immediately if you were to accomplish that. But then also we look at your good habits that you're doing that are helping you work towards your goals, the bad habits that are keeping you stuck from reaching them, what the um where are some competing commitments and we get into your story right off the bat and the story is really something that was created earlier on in life typically where you didn't have the full context of what was happening in a situation and so you would internalize it and make it about you and that's where i was talking about feeling misunderstood for my story was about not wanting to be misunderstood and if i was then there was a potential that I could be rejected or fail. And by uncovering that, a lot of people feel like, oh, wow, okay. It's not that it's an excuse for their behaviors, but to be able to see how this is protective and how it's not that they're just lacking willpower or discipline, it gives them, they feel empowered and they feel hopeful that things can change. And so That in and of itself, once they have that information, the insight, the awareness and clarity, it gives them the desire to want to start to change that and shift that. So they are motivated. And I find it's not even about motivation because that still has to do with willpower and discipline to some extent they're motivated by the process to show up and go through it. And of course, there can be resistance, which we will explore if that comes up. But I find that often just by going through that one session, people tend to, their eating tends to shift pretty quickly afterwards, where they might not be binging as much, they might be eating a single serving of dessert instead of eating like 12 desserts in the evening. And so things just start to change. And so as they start to see and feel differently or feel better around food and about themselves, then they're invested and they want to keep moving forward.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like I understand a little bit more about myself, about what's going on, and I don't feel quite so hopeless anymore. So that... That stirs up the juices, right? To be Mm -hmm. able to have the energy to be able to tackle some of the issues and with a different sort of a mindset and a different sort of an energy. When you actually know or have a little bit of an idea about what's going on with you and your eating habits, with food, your beliefs, all the protective measures, right?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. I always say it's like we're in a snow globe and going into this process, you're think of yourself in a snow globe and the snow has settled around you and it's just laying dormant, but you don't even really notice the snow. You don't really see it. And throughout this process, we're really shaking up that snow globe and you're starting to see the snow all around you and you're like, whoa, what is going on? But at the same time, it's like, oh, okay, Now I can see what's actually happening. And then as we work through the layers of everything that is happening and contributing to your eating and relationship with food or your body, the snow starts to settle again. And that's where that relief starts to come in.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if I asked you this before, but I'm wondering, do you do any work with families because I know that families and family support and the relationships that we have with our family members is really super important when we have to look at eating behaviors. Do you ever have a session where you talk to your clients about their family systems or about or even have their families in a session?
1: I've had clients bring their husbands into sessions sometimes, but it was more for she wanted, this client wanted her husband to hear more of what we were talking about so he could support her in like, because she felt like she didn't, she wasn't doing a good enough, not doing a good enough job, but she wasn't articulating to him everything that we were covering in the sessions. What I find is that because we're not necessarily talking about food itself and like, I mean, we do talk about food, but like not what to eat and and things like that. It's more of if somebody is reacting or feeling, I have had clients who are like, my my kids drive me crazy or they just really stress me out or my partner stresses me out a lot. And it's looking at what is it about those relationships and what is it how are you internalizing that and what is that triggering in you is what we look at and i find that often what happens is that their relationships with their kids or their husbands or significant others tend to shift in some ways as well as they start seeing how they're reacting and responding so a couple a good example of that is I've had a couple of clients who would say that they hate making food for their families. And as we dug into that a little bit more, what they realized is them making food for their families, depending on what type of feedback they got, so if the kids didn't eat, or if they didn't like the food, that was triggering in them that they were failing, they were a bad mom, and they felt like each meal there was a big risk and there, it was like make or break for what it was going to say about them as a parent. And also feeling like they're not providing for their kids because they're not giving the kids the nourishment if they're not eating it. So it's a lot deeper than just, I don't like cooking. There's a lot more to it, which is why both of these clients, I have two of them that felt that way, they would mindlessly eat before making dinner and while cooking dinner because there was so much that it was stirring up for them and as we worked through that then they realized that it wasn't it wasn't so important in ter- not that it's not important but they were able to see how it was what it was triggering in them and realizing that each meal wasn't going to make or break their kids or their relationship and what that meal didn't actually say anything about them
0: also which helps yeah. to settle things. Well, and I like the way you use that. Like when I'm cooking dinner, it stirs something up in me. It's, it's such a neat metaphor for that because it does. And it's it's likely going to go back to those core beliefs about the self. And uh, for those of you who don't understand what core beliefs are, it's really super simple. You could just put an I am blank and that is a core belief so if I am bad I am wrong I am stupid so any kind of core belief that it stirs up and like what you just said so beautifully there it can tr- be triggered in in some of the the simplest ways
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then our behaviors change around it and our moods change and then our habits change. And well, it's nice to be able to have people like you to help us to sort this stuff out for sure.
1: Yeah, it's so challenging and it's so hard, especially because it feels like it's the way things are, it's who we are, it's how we are, but it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't, it's how we've been socialized typically. And when we can get clear on what's even happening, then we can start to reevaluate like, what are my needs? Because a lot of times we don't even know what our needs or wants are and what's even happening. So in those cases, like the behaviors can start to shift by testing to see what happens if you try a new behavior um, and experiment with it to see what really is at risk here. And even one client that I was, I've was i been working with, just after the first session, she's like, man, I really have a lot of knee-jerk reactions and really catastrophize and think that things are so much worse than they really are. And just even by being able to see how much she's making things much bigger and more stressful than, and much riskier than they actually are, her anxiety levels have decreased significantly because she's like, this stuff is not actually that important. And she didn't realize how much she was... Making things more stressful than they had to be,
0: right? Sometimes we get in our own way and we make things more stressful. And we don't need to. We can we can simplify things if we're aware that yeah. this is what we're doing, right? So that's a a really important part of the work that you do is helping people to identify the ways that they're getting in their own way. And uh, so, so with with regards to people who. Say something like, and I'm just shooting from the hip here. Is somebody says like, "I just can't do this. It's it's hopeless. I'm hopeless. I've tried everything," and really taking that kind of victim mentality toward like, you know, I've tried everything. Woe is me. This is not working. What do you have? If if you're in that place, because I want to honor people who are in that place, because there's a lot of people who are mm-hmm. just sort of hopeless and really not knowing where to go and wanting to give up or just just throw in the towel. Yeah. What would you what would you have to say to those sorts of people who really don't see a whole lot of hope for them and changing their habits with food and eating?
1: It's really interesting because I would say ninety-five percent of my clients are in that place <laughs> when they come to me. It, often in that curiosity call, they'll say, "Like I'm, I'm just feeling really hopeless that things can change. Like I've been working at this for so long; it's been a struggle for years and years. And I just, I've tried everything. I know what to do, and I'm just not doing it. And I think trying a different approach can be really helpful. And it can be hard to take that leap and Invest in another thing, in another program or something, a a different type of approach, especially since there aren't a ton of um, people doing this type of work, too. It can be hard to take that leap. But I can tell you that things can change. And like I said, just even going through that first session, people have a renewed sense of hope. Um, After one session, I had a client say a couple of weeks ago, like, we're going to really move mountains here. And this is something that she had been struggling with for really a really long time. And she's been in therapy for years and she's like, you know, in therapy, I feel like we've been dancing around what's happening, but we've actually gotten to the root of what's happening in just like three sessions. Um, And so she's feeling really positive that now that she knows what's actually happening that now things can really start to shift and change. So I would just say, don't lose hope and just keep searching and find looking for the right approach for you. And you may not, a lot of people don't even know that what the work that I do is even a thing or available. Um, and not to say that my work is right for everybody because it's, it's not the right approach for everybody. But if it does seem like something that is, or if it's something Whatever type of approaches does feel like what the type of support you need, trying to find that out, search that out and find it because there's only so much we can do on our own and getting support or a coach or hiring somebody to help you to see your blind spots and get in like doing things, seeing things that you don't even know because you don't know what you don't know, right? So long story short is there is hope. Things can change. It's just a matter of finding the right approach and support for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we all have our special medicine. Which is one of the things that attracted me to you is that, you know, you have a different way of looking at you seeing your relationship with food and eating in a totally different way. And so where my approach might be more clinical or like sometimes on the side of woo-woo and I'm certified or whatever, you may resonate with somebody else. Mm-hmm. The language that you use is different than the clinical language. And I like that because it helps us to know a different type of medicine, right? And so yeah. I really uh, appreciate the the work that you're doing. I want to go ahead and put uh, Laura's website back up again and also just kind of highlight. So when you go onto her website here and uh, pardon me, I did put that little cute little picture up there. That's not on her <laughs> website, but that little picture is so cute there. I just wanted Thank to you. put it there. Yeah, yeah. She talks about her services. And then there is a uh, an invitation for you to uh, get a free workbook. Uh, and uh, it's so cool that she has that, that, uh, that option available. And uh, so we've got a bunch of services which we already looked at and uh, and I think I'll just go ahead and highlight them now. You talked about the new client curiosity call which is a 40-minute mm-hmm. call and then the, the discovery session which is right there to the to the right. Yep. And then there's a couple of programs that you have as well and some individual coaching sessions. You want to talk a little bit more about those sorts of things that you offer. Yeah, sure.
1: The 90-day Mini program. And then the 60, there's a 60 minute here, but um, what it really is, is that's all part of the um, six month program. So those are really the two programs that I have. They're both the Truce with Food program and process and approach that I take my clients through. The difference is the 90 day, like we were talking about earlier, where people feel like they've invested a lot of time and money into food, body, their weight. That's a really good place for people to start where they want to dip their toe in the water and make sure that this is the right approach for them. And then this, so it's the first three months in the six month program. And then the six month program obviously goes much deeper. And what I always say is like the first four sessions, we're doing a lot of unearthing and a lot of digging up of what is leading to falling off track and self-sabotage. And then starting in there's always tools and stuff throughout the process based on where you are, but we really get into more tools and getting into what we call self-authoring, starting around sessions like five and six. And then we are really getting more into figuring out like what are your values, what's important to you, how can we start to test new behaviors so that we can rewrite that story so that you're not continuing to be controlled by it. So that's really um, what we're doing throughout the the programs.
0: And you also have a professional Q&A, I see, for people who are wanting to be health coaches mm-hmm. and want some direction. Yep.
1: Yeah, I get um, asked a lot to talk to people who are aspiring health coaches. And so I have that session on there. It's a half an hour session um, where people can just pick my brain and hear more about my experience of running a business as a health coach,
0: I wanted to ask you, too, about your ninety day truce with food. And that was the introduction the, the the is that the six month program that you were just talking about? Is that the truce with food?
1: yeah, it's the the ninety day is the first three months of the six months. So typically, if somebody wants to dip their toe in the water, then they'll, just start with the 90-day the program, and then if they decide to move, continue on to the six months after that, then we just, I apply that, and we just extend it by another three months. So they're the same process and approach. It's just a little bit shortened and condensed, or it's just shorter time period, um, but it is the first 90 days of the six-month program, pretty much.
0: And, and what would the truce with food be at the end, or even if you just wanted to go through the first three months? So what, what would the transformation be? What would a person gain from, from going through some of your programs?
1: It's so, it really varies by the person obviously and what they're going through. But like I said, just after the first session, a lot of times people's, the way that they're viewing food changes. Um, and I've had clients who have made some pretty big life um, transitions while we're working together. So I had one client who, in the beginning, she's like, "I don't do well with change. I don't do well t- with transitions." But as we were working together, she was realizing how much her job was actually contributing to her not being able to stick with her eating, like her healthy goals, healthy not only healthy eating but also like exercise goals. It was just not serve, like her job was kind of an abusive situation. And so throughout the time that we worked together in the first four months, she ended up starting to apply for jobs, she got a new job, she made that transition. And so we worked through a lot of that because she tended to be an accommodator and she was seeing how much she was putting her job ahead of her needs. And also her friends, her family, it shows up in all different places and that leads her to sabotage herself. So that's so now she has a new job. So that's one person. Another client is making a big move to overseas and um, helping her through that transition as well as people's eating tends to shift. So it could be just feeling like you are constantly... Grazing. I had one client who, um, when we first started working together, she said that she would daydream about laying in bed, and it felt really luxurious to lay in bed and eat M and M's in the morning, and then eat sugar and candy throughout the day. And just after the first couple of sessions, she was no longer mindlessly eating. She, if she had a quote-unquote binge, it would be a couple of graham crackers or some Oreos or something like that. But it was, instead of it being from all day throughout the day, it was just like more, um, just a one-time thing in the evening. And we would look at that to see what was contributing to that. But just the eating tends to shift and people tend to naturally eat more in alignment with their goals and not ending they don't end up turning to food as much because now they have to, and some of my clients have been talking about like self, they turn to food to self-soothe. They're not needing to self-soothe with food anymore. They're able to find other things based on whatever it is that's actually happening. Either they don't need to soothe themselves anymore or they understand what is causing them to feel the need to self-soothe. And then they're able to figure out what truly they need. Um, since it's often not the food.
0: Exactly. And that's the way out, is to be able to understand what purpose the food is serving and what you really need and to move move toward that. And so I guess everybody can kind of have their own transformation, whatever they want, and it's different for everyone. So I'm so glad that you made that point for sure yeah so here is an example of the workbook that that uh is available on laura's website and this is the i love the name of this uh get to the root of why you self-sabotage it is so direct uh, identifying triggers and i love and i actually ordered this book and it's a really super super cool workbook. And it starts with why do I sabotage? And again, it, it has to do with the triggers. And I think a lot of people really want to know, like, what are my triggers? And why do I do this? And how do I stop it? And what's the transformation? <laughs> mm mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, and also in the workbook, which we didn't really talk about today, it does take you through the unconscious process that or cycle that we're typically going through when we are eating out of alignment with our goals. And that starts with the triggers. And so that's why this workbook really focuses on the triggers first, um, because that's what trips off the cycle. And if we can start to gain clarity and awareness of what's even leading us to eat, that's when we can reduce any guilt or shame that we're feeling around that, and can also help so that we can get back, quote unquote, on track again faster. And that's what we look at too, is it's not about perfection. It's about if you end up eating out of alignment with your goals, self-sabotage, are you able to recover faster? Is it shorter? Is the quality of the food, does that increase or improve? So we're looking at all these different metrics that aren't necessarily, did I eat 100% in alignment with my goals? Like, that's not what we're looking for. We're really looking to see, did any, were there any shifts? Do you feel any different, differently about yourself after um, an event or something like that, if you had some of those triggers? So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what we're looking at. And um that workbook does take you through an exercise also to figure out what those triggers are and guides you through that.
0: And it's absolutely free if you go on to her website and you are going to be able to get the workbook, download it, and go through it yourself if you'd like. And and you can also contact Laura through her website at laurabfolks.com. Uh, Laura, it's been so great having you here today. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the work you do or any of the products and services that you have available for people to help them transform the relationship with food?
1: First of all, thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun. And I really, I love, um, the work that you do and this podcast as well. And I just think that you're doing so many great things for people, um, who might feel like their life is in chaos in certain ways and helping to calm that is fantastic. Um, in terms of any last thoughts, I think we kind of already touched on this, but just like if you are feeling hopeless that things can change and feeling isolated or feeling alone in your journey, you're not alone. There are other people who are going through that, and there are also people who can support you. Like I said before, you know, there we don't know what we don't know. And sometimes just even having that clarity and awareness and getting the support, taking that first step and asking for help is always the hardest. Um, But it can also be so relieving because a lot of times what we are resisting to look at and not wanting to explore is still controlling us. And when we can start to resolve it, when we can explore it, that's when it starts to dissolve. And that's where things free up um, for us in our minds
0: and in our bodies as well. Yes, what we resist persists. I Mm -hmm. believe that's what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I couldn't calm the chaos without my guests because my guests really helped me to have different ways that I can look at situations of chaos and be able to use some new tools to calm. So please visit Laura at her website, laurabfolks.com. And then again, thank you so much for being with us today. I wish you well, and thank you for helping me and my viewers Calm the Chaos. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Calming the Chaos podcast. If the information in this podcast has been helpful, please consider subscribing and share it with your friends. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Spotify, and on YouTube. You can also go to our podcast website at www.comingthechaospodcast.com, where you can listen to all Calming the Chaos podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, take care.